All right, we are recording now. Counting us down. Three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hello there, Misketeers. Welcome back to Missing Out. I'm Tari J. I am Lex Michael. And if this is your first time listening, what we do here is we introduce each other to different media, whether it be movies, music, television, spoken word, books, experiences, things that have built us up as people, and we hope that in sharing it, it builds you up. We are the retrospective that is introspective. Uh, Misketeers, this mamushka is for you. Oh yeah, mamushka, 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 mamushka. I will, I'm just going to say right up top that uh, the mamushka was one of many things from the movie we're discussing today that I had no memory of. And let me tell you, it was just one delightful discovery after another. Yes, uh, the Adams Family, uh, which was released in 1991 uh the debut film of director barry sonnenfeld whom you might know from the men in black films uh or other stuff uh those (laughs) things don't count because the only thing that matters are the men in black films um but uh it has a star-studded cast it has raul julia angelica houston christopher lloyd christina ricci jimmy workman Baby, this is all there. I haven't even started pitching yet, and I'm just trying to sell it immediately. <laughs> uh, it's also got uh, Carol Stroykin as Lurch, who I, I completely forgot was uh, Lurch in this movie. But Carol Stroykin, um, outside of his role as Lurch, probably best known and certainly best known to me as the giant, a.k.a. the fireman from Twin Peaks. Oh, OK, cool. Um, so I'm going to pitch this thing and then we're going to talk about your reintroduction to this movie. Okay. Yeah, let's do, let's do a pitch this. I'm, I'm, I saw it and I'm still unsold. I'm still, I'm still feeling trepidatious. Tip me over. I'm on the fence. Tip me over into this other person's yard where uh, I love the Adams family and I'm, I'm buying it. I'm giving all my money. All right. Well, poke, 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 poke. I just poked you and you <laughs> fell over to the other side of the fence. Um, no. Surprisingly effective. Yeah. Um, I will say, so if I were to try to pitch this to someone who had never seen it and was like, why would I watch something from the 90s and uh, it's, a, it's a remake? Oh, boy, I hate remakes. Um, technically, it's not a remake. It's the first feature film in the Adams Family uh, brand. Originally, there were comics and then they were... Uh, series in 1964 and then we find this feature film with the best casted characters uh it has amazing sight gags it has a wonderful score and also furthermore etc um the the story is very fun uh and i think it it holds up even now uh over 20 years later uh or i guess about 20 years later, because that's how math works. Uh, so I I highly recommend it. I think if you go back, you'll find yourself delighted, and uh, you'll find that this is one of the best adaptations that is both faithful and loving of a previous 
property. And that's my pitch. Uh, Lex Michael, when did you first see this? Um, well, so interestingly enough, uh, <laughs> okay, I was so sure that I had seen this movie um, when I was younger, long enough ago that I, I knew I didn't remember much of it at all. But I was so sure that this was just going to be a fun uh, trip down memory lane for me, very nostalgic experience getting to revisit an artifact from my youth. And as I watched this movie, I got to, I want to say, maybe the half hour mark to 40 minute mark before it dawned on me. I don't think I'd ever seen this. Um, I had seen parts of um, Adam's Family Values. And I believe that I saw Adam's Family Reunion, which was the the sequel that Sonnenfeld didn't do. With It had a new cast. Um, I think Tim Curry was Gomez in that one. Uh, and then I had seen a bunch of, I think it was called The New Adam's Family, which was a series that ran, I think, before it was ABC Family, the network was Fox Family. And I think right after it launched, uh, they ran a sort of rebooted Adam's Family series. And I saw a bunch of that. So it was very much a uh, presence in my household when I was younger. And it was very mm-hmm. much something that was part of my consciousness. Like I knew who all the characters were. I knew what their relationships to each other were. But I don't believe I had ever seen this movie before. So when you asked me, when did I first see this movie? And my answer is, I, I think, yesterday is the nice. first time that I saw this movie. Um, and yeah, there's a lot. Uh, when we get into spoilers, we'll talk about some of the plot stuff that I just, yeah, I definitely had no memory of whatsoever. Uh, but I want to ask, because this was uh, your pick, what what is your relationship with the Adams Family, both uh, this movie in particular and also the bigger franchise uh, overall? So um, just before I talk about that, to address... Uh, you're never having seen it. I call that the RoboCop effect. Uh, if you guys will remember, <laughs> I thought I had seen RoboCop 1, but I had not. I had only seen RoboCop 2. Um, so I understand your feelings. Um, for me, The Addams Family, uh, I, I have very old, fond memories of it in that like it was a, a show that I believe that we had seen at the drive-in in San Jose, uh, I really liked the family dynamics. Uh, like uh, Gomez was probably my archetype for uh, cool characters because he's just so whimsical <laughs> and he's uh, like he's just such a big character. And Morticia Adams was also like a uh, you know n- not a sexual awakening, uh, <laughs> but like I really uh, found her to be very attractive. Um, and so, uh, I was, and I also, um, was a fan of the animated Adams Family series, um, which also led me into Adams Family Values, which people don't give enough credit to. It was a very fun movie. Like, it wasn't the same as the first movie, but, like, it had its own charm. All I really remember from Adam's Family Values now is they try to send Wednesday and Pugsley to summer camp, I think, uh-huh. something like that. And uh, in typical Adam's fashion, it all goes uh, tremendously awry. I think because it allows the characters to get out of the house, like it, I think it has another special place in my heart. Like there's a, a section in this movie where they try to do 
like the Adams family in normal society. And you're like, all right, I see what you're doing, but like it didn't land as much. And then the second one, they were like, all right, you, you see what I did here? I'm going to do that, but bigger and better. And so that was the, the like appeal of that. Everything that happens in the summer camp, which is amazing. Um, and I, I believe that them going to summer camp was also specifically Pugsley and Wednesday going to summer camp was also a thing that was featured in the original like comics by Adams. So I think it was a nice little nod to that as well. Um, it's also wild that this entire concept sprang up from, because uh, I want to say, didn't Adam start these cartoons in like the, the 1930s, I want to say? or something like that. Some, oh, here we go. Yep, 1938. And they were one panel New Yorker cartoons, which is sort of wild. So now uh, when I read through the New Yorker and I look at all these cartoons that are so highbrow that literally nobody understands them, I'm going to now be looking for which ones I think would make the most lucrative IP. And then I will be uh, reaching out to the artists and asking them uh, if I can make money off of their work. I mean, that's that's kind of how that's kind of how it works out these days. You're like, yeah, baby, time to make my um, uh, fa- family circus cinematic universe. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, my, my Cal- Calvin and Hobbes, uh, dark, gritty, uh, I don't know, Amazon series. Oh boy, it's it's the boys, but with Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> Who can we? I know they crossed over like in animation. I want to say, uh, I know they crossed over with with um, Scooby Doo, right? So you could do since it seems like you know they just put out the animated Scooby Doo, the one that's just called Scoob, um, and maybe that'll light the world on fire on VOD. It'll make a ton of money, and they'll just want to do those. But if not, uh, I say cross it over with Adam's Family. Shit, they're doing animated Adam's Family stuff now, so. Cross them over, throw Calvin Hobbes in there, but like make it, make it like hard art. Do the, ah uh, shit, do the Snyder cut of the Adams Family Scooby Doo Calvin and Hobbes animated crossover. Oh, Snyder man, cuts you're, timely again. You're gonna, you're gonna get people all. All, <laughs> all right, I'm, oh man. So can you believe the the this was only made for thirty million dollars? Uh, thirty cool. million, but they did go. Didn't they go something like five million over budget because they kept changing things? Yes. So the original budget was twenty five million, but it uh, you know cost thirty million. The because like the set and to build the house on the original place where the the original series did their house was like a hundred thousand. So it was like it was a big budget, but I mean they made that back in spades. I believe that the box office was one hundred ninety one million. So I mean. Even though <laughs> the studio that was producing the film went under, they made a lot of money. That's right. Yeah, I or, or it was uh, Orion, and I think Orion came back a couple of years ago finally. But yeah, not nobody really wanted this movie. It sounds like it seems like nobody really had a huge amount of faith that it was going to be a hit. And I think Orion had just put out, um, I think, Silence of the Lambs and uh, uh, Dances with Wolves, which were big big hits, but they also produced a bunch of movies that really did not uh, at all make them their money back. And it, it ate through a ton of their money. Right. So I believe um, they co-financed or they, they sold it. I think they sold it to 
paramount because they just assumed this was not going to make them any money at all, which as it turns out was not the best idea because it, it made a lot of money. Yeah. It's like when paramount uh, gave partial rights of the Hulk to um, Marvel studios. And they were like, we can't make a good Hulk movie. And they were like, guess what? Mother effers. We're going to feature him and all of the movies he's featured in are going to make billions with a B. And that made Paramount pee their pants. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, good. Some good pee stuff. I Thank like you. it. I like we work some pee material in before spoilers. Uh, I mean, that's that's my jam. You know what I'm saying? Uh, if 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 there's anything I'm 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 like the royal court in the princess and the pea and that I will find places to put peas into and you got to find it. You got to feel it out. <laughs> no, is that not? I don't, I don't like it. OK, um, <laughs> well, whatever. Uh, someone will. Uh, but I think we've gone as far as we can without really going into spoilers because the main plot thread of this whole thing is, uh, integral from beginning to end. And there's a lot of stuff that happens. Uh, so we will come back after a short ad and then we will talk about all the spoilers, all the, the fun stuff, the, the nineties stuff, the characters, the caramilla, all of it. Um, after we drop the spoiler wall, um, before that, uh, just a reminder that if you would like to support the show and you would like to show us some love, you can go onto iTunes and leave us a rating or a review that really helps people find us, really helps us get to the top of the charts and spread the word about how great this show is and how much you love us. Um, so please do so if you feel so inclined. We read five stars here on this show. So we will be back right after this ad. See you soon. Bro, we did it. We hacked into the Libsyn mainframe. Oh shit, really? Yeah, now we can finally force other podcasts to play our ads. Hit the button. All right, here we go. Do you fancy bonus? How about jizz? Or perhaps bestiality piques your interest? You can find all that filth and more on Fartmouth Podcast, recorded in the basement of Fartmouth University. Fartmouth is one of the most offensive comedy podcasts on the internet. We do weekly segments, games, song parodies, and more. You can find Fartmouth on Apple, Google, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are played. All right, we are back. That spoiler wall is down, baby. Okay, so Lex Michael, you know what time it is. It's time to bust a recap. So what do you got for us? Do you have a do you have a permit for that little pew pew weapon you always fire off uh at at uh breakdown time? Uh yes, I have a permit for it. I also went through a background check. Uh, when I'm not doing the show, I keep it in a uh, uh, gun safe, uh, and I keep my bullets separate from it uh, because I don't believe that guns are really useful for for self defense in that they do more harm than anything. So it's mostly a show gun for like the range and things of that sort. 
Yeah, yeah. I feel like the most optimal the most optimal use for a firearm is like starting races and things. Right. So uh, Uh, speaking of starting races, uh, that's the segue we're going with today. Uh, Pew pew. Um, I do not have a permit for this pew pew gun. Uh, So uh, let's see. What is this movie about? This will be interesting. Having just come away from my first experience with it. Can I can I rattle off from memory the general plot of this thing? Let us find out. So. Uh, our central protagonist, arguably, is Gomez Adams, as portrayed by Raul Julia. And something like 25 years ago, his beloved brother, Fester, went missing, uh, presumably never to be seen or heard from again. Now, cut to the present. And it turns out that Gomez's lawyer, with whom he occasionally swashbuckles, uh, is in debt up to his eyeballs to a loan shark and develops a scheme. And the scheme involves the loan shark's adopted son, whose name I want to say is Gordon, who the lawyer pieces together has uh, this uncanny resemblance to Gomez's long lost brother. So he says, here's what we can do so that I can repay my debt to you and you can probably get a little, little sweet extra payout on top of it. We will have Gordon pose as the long lost Fester Adams. And when he is embraced by the family, he will sneak around the house. He will find uh, the, the sort of secret vault full of all of the uh, Adams riches and he will abscond with that money and he will return to them and they will uh, live uh, with a of money forever and everybody will be very happy he'll be out of debt he won't have to swashbuckle with gomez adams anymore shit he could probably retire uh happily and sip little umbrella drinks and stuff uh forever so they perpetuate this story that fester was lost in the bermuda triangle for the past 25 years and he's lost his memories and of course gomez is very saddened by the fact that fester has these gaps in his knowledge of their childhood together because he was truly uh, a very beloved brother. But as Gomez discusses the past with uh, Faux Fester, as they reminisce together, uh, Gomez starts to think that maybe this Fester isn't who he claims to be. He says, maybe this is an imposter. Now, Fester's adopted uh, loan shark mother poses as a doctor, like a psychiatrist, and convinces Gomez, A, that the reason uh, Fester can't remember things is because the Bermuda Triangle gave him amnesia, but B, the reason Gomez suspects Fester of wrongdoing, of impropriety, is uh, displacement. It's all on Gomez, and Gomez has to work to break down his displacement and fully embrace Fester. So Gordon, as Fester, starts to grow close to the family. He helps uh, Wednesday and Pugsley, the children, prep for their their school play. And uh, now Gomez wants to throw a giant party in honor of his brother Fester. And they throw a party where they dance this sort of ritualistic dance of brotherly love called the Mamushka, which uh, is, of course, uh, now, uh, it must be stated, probably the greatest musical sequence ever committed uh, to film. And Gomez uh, is more, more inclined now than he was before to embrace his brother. Now, while this is going on, uh, the lawyer figures out that... Uh, big finger quotes, Fester as the older brother is actually sort of uh, heir to the entire estate. He actually has greater control over the family home, at least on paper, than Gomez does. And so effectively, uh, the the law teams up against them and they are sort of uh, ushered out of their own home. Uh, Now, 
Gomez, very despondent, having been duped, the family sort of cast adrift, and they are left to their own devices. They have to figure out uh, how to work. So, uh, you know, Morticia tries to teach preschool, for example. Thing, the little disembodied hand, uh, goes to work in a mailroom. But they figure out, or rather Thing figures out, what the scheme is when uh, Morticia is abducted because they want to sort of torture Morticia so that Morticia will let them know where all of the secret money is. So the thing communicates this finally to Gomez. So Gomez and the family rush to Morticia's rescue. And Gordon finally decides uh, for himself that he would sort of rather be an Adams than the son of this loan shark trying to turn him against what might in fact be his newfound family, pulls out a magical book, and, and out of the book comes this crazy storm uh, that f- shoots the mother and the lawyer out the window and into these fresh guck. <laughs> graves with coffins that the children have prepared. Uh, And then lightning strikes Gordon Fester's brain, which apparently restores his memories as he has, in fact, been the real Fester all along, which is definitely the movie that they were making when they started making this movie. And I will not hear anything to the contrary. Uh, The the Adams clan, now happily reunited in the family home, plays a a rousing round of, of Wake the Dead. Uh, and Morticia reveals to an overjoyed Gomez that she is pregnant and there will be another little Adams running around um, finding really discreet and uh, whimsical ways to murder people and get away with it and stuff. Yeah. Oh, also, also Cousin It shows up at one point and it rules because Cousin It is is the greatest Adams family character, in my opinion. I got to like the hour mark of this movie going, you know what? This is super fun. But uh, there's no Cousin It. And like, it'd be a huge bummer if they were maybe saving Cousin It for the sequel or something. But not only uh, did they not save Cousin It for the sequel, not only do they know to give the people what they want, but Cousin It shows up to this big party uh, blasting MC Hammer, which rules. Also, a lot more MC Hammer content than I was expecting from the Adams Family picture. MC Hammer was hot back then, baby. He was was a symbol of prestige you got ham- <laughs> mc hammer in your in your film you, you you're gonna go gold or you're gonna buy, get a golden globe you're gonna you're gonna win an emmy uh, and a and a tony and uh oscar that's how you know it the yes the famous uh ito yes what no <laughs> no you you said emmy tony oscar ito Mm, I also said a Golden Globe. Oh, Emmy yeah. to Ito Eggto. There you go. Mm-hmm. Eggto yep. with the two G with both G's from Golden right, Globe. Eggto. Yes, got it. Um, so that was a. Thank you for recapping that for us. I feel like I kind of. I feel like I kind of nailed it. I mean, I feel like I feel like you got to juice it up a little extra whimsy. But like, if I were trying to act out, for example, the fencing scenes or like the Mamushka sequence, no one would see me. And right. so I feel like you're no matter what, it's going to fall a little bit short of capturing the experience of watching the movie. But I, 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 try, I try to do try to do my best. Yeah. Um, I mean, speaking of the idea of, of capturing the essence of something, um, this movie, many people think was a Tim Burton film, which it was not. It was uh, originally they wanted Tim Burton to be the the director and he refused not refused. I just I guess he passed. Um, which I, I find that I think that Barry Sonnenfeld, this being his first, uh, 
Foray as a director. Like he had been doing uh, like DP work beforehand. So he, he wasn't like he stepped off a bus and they were like, you direct this film. Um, but he, right. this is his first time like taking the helm. And he also ultimately ended up doing the, the DP for this because both of his DPs ended up in the hospital somehow. Um, yeah. it, he was under the impression that this, this film was cursed because so many crazy <laughs> bad things happened in the midst. And like, I, I don't remember whom it was, but there's a, there, it is said that like, uh, one of the executives, uh, was so upset that he ended up doing it that like his, the like name on his director's chair would change to different directors every day and none of them were his own. I don't know if that's true, um, but that is what was said. Um, Interesting. Yeah, this was sort of, a, it sounds like not um, not a troubled production the way you hear about a lot of movies having troubled productions, but yeah, it does seem like there were a number of obstacles that popped up while they were trying to shoot this thing. And I know like at one point they had to delay production because... Uh, like Raul Julia had a blood vessel in his eye that burst, so they mm -hmm. couldn't shoot him. So they had to film around him while he uh, while he was recovering. I want to say Barry Sonnenfeld's wife became ill in some fashion, which sort of pulled his focus away from it. But yeah, him having to the cinematographers uh, on the Adams family sort of like Spinal Tap drummers, where they keep switching them out, and and terrible fates continue to befall them. Right. But as it as it happens, like uh, I, I believe I believe you mentioned this a minute ago, uh, Sonnenfeld himself was a cinematographer. I mean, he sort of came up in movies uh, with the Coen brothers, like he shot uh, blood simple. He shot raising Arizona. He shot uh, Miller's crossing for them. Um, he worked on misery when Harry met Sally. So it, it helps a lot if you're in a, a situation where you just keep losing DPs to be able to step up and do it yourself. But I would imagine that Barry was very tired at the end of this shoot. Oh yeah. Uh, and I think that like considering all of that, the fact that he was able to not not just like replicate what a Tim Burton movie would be or feel like, but like he was able to put his own spin on it and really make it his own, which I thought was a really cool thing for him to do. Uh, like I liked a lot of the aesthetics of this movie. I liked how uh, a lot of like the sight gags that they were able to integrate. I liked a lot of just the the off kilter um like interactions between the, the family and the people in the real world and also just like i think one of the main things that i really enjoyed about the movie were a lot of the um gomez morticia tableaus that they really managed to put together like there's a moment when uh it, it's basically fake fester is screaming because he is surprised by uh it or not it but a uh, thing and they cut to gomez lounging in his bed and morticia lovingly laying upon his chest uh and them you know reminiscing about the good old days of uh fester screaming in the night and i thought that that just that moment the way it's framed the way it's lit um the way that they maintained uh angelica houston's eye uh spotlight 
I, th- I thought all of that was done really well. And you can tell that there's a lot of care put into every frame of this movie. Yes. Um, this thing is real well directed and it, it is, uh, it makes a ton of sense that you might look to a uh, Tim Burton to do this. Tim Burton, when they were making this movie, uh, would have just been coming off of Batman. Batman would have just come out in 89. And presumably the big reason he turned this down was to make Batman Returns, which would come out the following year. Right. Um, but talking about, you know, the way, I mean, you bring up uh, Gomez and, and Morticia. I mean, it cannot be said enough how absolutely phenomenal both Raul Julia and Angelica Houston are in this movie. I mean, the whole cast is, is fantastic. Um, the other standout obviously being Christopher Lloyd, but I, so, okay. So, uh, Angelica Houston, I've seen in, in countless movies, Christopher Lloyd, I've seen in countless movies. Raul Julia is an actor who I am familiar with, but you know, I pulled up his, his filmography and I'm looking at the movies he's made. And I think I'd really only seen him in uh, panic and needle park, I've seen one from the heart, but a very long time ago. Um, and maybe the street fighter movie. And I don't have very strong memories of him in, in any of those movies because it's been such a long time since I had, I had revisited any of them. So watching him as Gomez was, uh, I, I mean, I feel like revelatory is, uh, gets to what I'm trying to say, but I feel like even revelatory doesn't quite, say it. I was watching this thing yesterday going, oh, wow, I missed out on one of the great screen performances. I think he is that good in this movie. I mean, he brings such a a big energy to this character that I don't think that anyone else, like even now, he is my definitive Gomez Adams. No, No offense to... Uh, the original Gomez Adams, or no offense to um, uh, Captain Commander Poe, um, but <laughs> yes, I am though like, holding out for the uh, live action uh, uh, Adams family where we can get an Oscar Isaac Gomez, right? But like he, I think, embodies this character so much, and like you talk about his performance in Street Fighter which I think he was also the big standout character of that movie. Like if anyone quotes something from street fighter, it's going to be uh, M Bison talking to uh, Chun Lee about how, you know, the day that Bison graced his village was the greatest day or the most terrible day. But for him, it was a Tuesday like that. Only he could deliver lines in that fashion. Like there's a moment in, this movie where um, it's right before they get their house taken away. And he's like, they say a man who, who uh, represents himself has a fool for a client. I am that fool. And I think that that is like such a Rao Julia moment. Like only he could pull off such a big, crazy line like that. Uh, And I think that like, and and, you know, everyone who knows of his uh, acting, uh, resume knows that he brings that type of energy to everything that he did. And yeah. he was such a big, like Broadway performer. He, like he did so much stage acting that he uh, has no choice, but to bring that stage energy to the roles he performed. And it was such a loss when 
he passed away at such a young age. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, it, it's, and that's why, you know, they, they couldn't really sustain this series without him, right? Because when they wanted to come back and continue to sort of cash in on the Adams family brand, well, you don't have your Gomez anymore. And that's how you end up with, uh, uh, Tim Curry is Gomez in Adam's Family Reunion, which I did see probably on the Disney Channel uh, a bunch or like when it was Fox Family. Um, and I, I remember being like, yeah, like Tim Curry's good. He's always good. But even without having seen that first movie being like, but but this isn't the guy. This is like the guy pretending to be the guy. Right. Um but no, like he's he's absolutely phenomenal. It's it's the physicality of the performance. It's the weird little quirky, small, like teeny tiny choices he's making moment to moment. And he's playing, of course, these are all very big, larger than life, over the top cartoon characters. And yet within within that construct, he is making these minute, but like very, very specific and pronounced choices. Also, uh, you mentioned uh, the, the moment in the movie where he's talking about uh, they say uh, a man who represents himself or has a fool is a, uh, you, you said it, you know what you yes. said. Uh, but it reminded me very much of the movie we discussed last week, uh, where, uh, somebody who is, uh, surprisingly talented at killing people and getting away with it decides to represent herself in the court of law, though, uh, for Beverly Sutphin, it goes a good deal better than it does in the moment for the Adamses. Speaking of which, a lot of characters in this movie refer to Gomez in particular as a fool because, you know, mostly because they, he, they're so frustrating, these people, that they get very frazzled and they're so they're so strange that clearly they must be uh, they must be deeply foolish people and stuff. Right. But, you know, for somebody who keeps being referred to as foolish, I mean, G- Gomez and in fact, the entire family seem very, very adept at killing people and getting away with it. Like there's that moment where I think it's Pugsley, like they're sitting at a table and I think Pugsley comes in with a stop sign from down the street and Mm -hmm. Gomez has everybody hush for a second so that everybody can listen to what sounds like a real bad, probably fatal car accident. And they all sort of laugh and, and clap and stuff like that. So this family... And again, this is a very light, this really is sort of a family film in terms of its tone. Uh, they're real good at murdering people and, yeah. and getting away with it. And not for nothing. Obviously, when Gomez attempts to represent himself in court, like obviously, first thing that happens to this family is they they lose the house, which is, which is not the desired outcome. But uh, on the list of potential outcomes uh, to a situation where the Adams family has to appear in court, I feel like oh, well, we lost the house is really not the worst thing that could happen to these folks. You know what I mean? Like there's probably enough in that house to jail them for several lifetimes, although that would be wild, right? Like what happens when you integrate the Adamses into prison? Like, do you think that that it finally breaks them? Or do you think that like if, if you try to uh, send each of them to a different maximum security facility around the country they all like all separate from each other end up taking over the place from the inside, like the kingpin and shit. (laughs) I definitely think that they will enjoy it. Um, I don't think that there's any way that the Adams family doesn't become the, the not even kingpins. They just like become so, so 
uh, enamored with the idea of prison that they just don't want to leave. Like, I like to imagine that they serve <laughs> out their, their sentence and they're like, you got to go. And they're like, but I love it here. There's so much injustice. There's so much terribleness that like, why would I leave? If anything, this is going to be my summer home. Uh, yeah, I mean, it they, could and be. And they come back every year. Yeah. Like, it could be a really interesting way of uh, doing this this commentary on how, pr- like, the prison system and all that stuff. And that, like, the... The Adams family in general, uh, as a concept, they are this family who, yes, they have all these like dark uh, interests and they, they sometimes will kill people or like they have this fascination with death and the macabre. But at the core, they are a really tight knit family with a, a number with a, a good amount of mutual respect for one another. They raise their children uh as co-parents and there's they are they show how how proud they are they support their kids they're loving to one another as a couple they uh allow their living uh grandparent to live with them they are well off like they have money uh for all intents and purposes they are like a perfect family um so this idea that People are like, oh, man, they're so weird and dumb and crazy because they don't conform to social norms while at the same time they are um, everything in terms of uh, mental and, uh, you know, interpersonally healthy. So this could be a really good time to, like, juxtapose those ideas. Oh, baby, we're, we're getting we are very inclined to pitch sequels. But if we are doing a new sequel on our sweet, sweet uh, Amazon Prime uh, platform, it's going to be that one. It's going to be the <laughs> Oz. It's going to be Oz meets Adam's family. <laughs> I mean, like I, I would I would watch that. I feel like we've basically just pitched a successful like if this was the early days of hbo like if this was the time period where oz sort of went on the air and we went in and pitched that uh that show would still be running i guarantee it Ooh, i mean i think so but uh so something else i want to talk about speaking of like prison and court systems this show or this movie this movie was really good about using the the rule of three like the two that really stuck out to me, uh, one was the golf balls. Um, you yes. you have it first introduced where Gomez is playing by himself and he smashes a ball into the judge's window and the judge is like, ah, Adams, I hate you. Uh, and then you have it brought back as the reminder when he is playing with Gomez or he's playing with Fester. And they hit it into the the judge's house again, and you hear them from off screen. And then it comes full circle where that is used against them to get their house removed. And that the angry judge is then the same judge that, uh, you know, gives the custody to Fester. And he dumps all of the golf balls onto the table, which I thought was a really nice way of paying it off. Um, if, if anyone's not familiar with uh, the rule of three, it is, you know, it is the idea, the reminder and the payoff. 
And so uh, I really like the second use of it when we get the books where the first instance is, uh, I think it's Gone with the Wind or or something like that, where um, the lawyer opens up the book, there's wind. The next time uh, it is a different book and he opens it up and it's, it's sunlight used on his face. And the last one being um, uh, the, the way that we resolve the uh, climax, which is the hurricane book. Uh, I really liked that use of the rule of three in this movie. Like it shows a really adeptness at, at storytelling. So uh, r- real quick, cause obviously like I'm familiar with, with the rule of three and it is interesting how it, it, it became a rule in part because for whatever reason, I think our, our brains are, are sort of wired in such a way where one can be funny Two, for some reason, not as funny. It feels like you're putting a hat on a hat. Three, though, uh, quite funny indeed. And when you get to four, it's like, all right, you're beating a dead horse. Stop it. Uh, what? R- real quick, you said, what are the three things? The what? The what? And the payoff? It's the it's the idea or the introduction. It is the reminder, and then the payoff. All right. Well, I'm going to be pretentious as hell and call it the pledge, the turn and the prestige and shit. But speaking of the prestige, I want to talk about you you referenced in your uh, rule of three, uh, the hurricane book and how we resolve the climax of this movie. Um, And so one of the reasons this thing went over budget is because they were they were having to shoot a bunch of additional stuff and there were big revisions taking place uh, while they were making the movie. One of the biggest being that uh, initially uh, the plan was that the Fester Gordon character was going to be an imposter in the end. And this was a plot. I had no memory of the plot of this movie hinging on the idea that Fester might be an imposter. Mm -hmm. But at a certain point, it sounds like the actors sort of got together and talked amongst themselves and went to, uh, I think, went to Sonnenfeld and basically said, this doesn't feel right to us. I think the idea of getting through the end of this story and him actually having been an imposter the entire time would be too much of a downer, tonally incongruous, the wrong kind of dark and bleak for Adam's family. So maybe we sort of pivot and we we have it revealed that he was in fact Fester the entire time. Um, and eventually they all decided i think they sent christina ricci as an emissary to plea their case and i think ultimately it was decided that okay we're gonna do that but it definitely i mean tell me if you agree or disagree that element of it definitely feels uh tacked on to me that definitely feels like we weren't making this movie an hour ago and now we're making this movie um i think that well so here's i how i feel about it I am I'm of two minds in that I think that by my current modern sensibilities, I think that, yes, I think story-wise, it, it would have been a really interesting turn for him to have been an, impos- an imposter, yes, but for them to have accepted him into the family as Gomez's brother um, and for him to have been like, oh, I found a place that I actually belong, as opposed to trying to be what my mother wanted me to be. I think that would have been a really interesting theme that uh, they could have built to. But I also uh, really like the idea 
uh, how at the end they're like, oh, it turns out to have been this thing. And, uh, or turns out that he was Fester all along. And they're like, I, stranger things have happened. I really like the idea <laughs> of them hand waving ideas away. Um, because this movie is so like bonkers that the idea of a, a contrivance or a convenience like that happening just feels like it exists in this world. Like when they are giving the backstory initially, when Fester is revealed to the family and everyone is like, Hmm, that seems like, a, like unbelievable and crazy. And they're like, that does seem unbelievable and crazy. <laughs> and they like really embrace it. it. I guess it really appeals to my, um, my improv sensibilities where it's like, all right, we've established this thing and we're like, hell yeah, that's a thing. Uh, I I like that idea that the family is willing to just kind of accept whatever happens moving forward. Yes, I I agree. I, I am sort of taken with the whimsical aspect of that as well. It's just, And maybe if I hadn't, I feel like maybe I knew going in or I assumed going in that Fester would actually be Fester if only because in my head, yeah, Christopher Lloyd plays Fester and it was never really more layered than that. Um, maybe if I'd gone in knowing absolutely nothing about this, it would have played more seamlessly to me. But instead, it feels like we have made one choice that, that our whole plot sort of hinges on. And then at the very end of the movie, yeah, 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 no, which I like on paper a lot because it feels like you were saying sort of exactly in line with the sensibilities of these characters in their world. But it just felt a little as storytelling execution felt to me a little bit slapdash. I get that. Um, I'm going to pivot really quick because that gives me a really good chance to talk about the plot element. That is the mother character. Yes. Um, As everyone knows, this month, and this I can't believe we've gone this long without saying it, this month is Mother May I? That's our theme for this month, and we thought that uh, it would be a good fit because there is this special relationship between Fester's Gordon and the mother character who is who's played by Elizabeth Wilson, um who doubles as both Abigail Craven and Dr. Pinder Schloss, uh, which I think I had read somewhere that Pinder means nut and Schloss means house, or name was Dr. Nuthouse, um, <laughs> which I thought was a really cute thing. Um, but, like, it is the, the main uh, factor in which the full scope of the, the plot hinges on, in that she has this son uh who looks like fester and she has basically been manipulating him throughout his life and also like even throughout the course of this movie where she not only gaslights gomez as the doctor where you get that displacement argument and she's like no what you're feeling is wrong believe other things believe what i'm telling you but you also see it in effect in their relationship i think the prime example being when fester finally feels like he's part of the family and he's been slowly integrating like playing with the kids and finding that like he digs what they're into 
but also uh, when they have the mamushka and he's like, I've had the best day of my life. Like I've danced, I've sung, I've kissed girls. Like I'm alive. I'm a fully fledged person. And his mom does a, like a, like a real, real sad guilt trip. And is like, oh, I've just raised you your whole life. And he's like, okay, <laughs> I will set aside my own wants and feelings to make you feel better. And she's like, ha ha, gaslit you motherfucker. Uh, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not completely dissimilar from the relationship between uh, Norman Bates and his mother. Beginning of the month, the first movie we discussed was Hitchcock's Psycho. And the relationship that is suggested between Norman and his mother and explored on uh, the Bates Motel series, which after we talked about Psycho, I, I started to watch, uh, is very much like the uh, Fester relationship, or the, the Gordon relationship with uh, his mother in as much as it's exactly what you were describing. The second she sees that he is experiencing happiness that is separate from her she feels threatened by it and so she has to do whatever she can she has to play on his emotions on his loyalty to her whatever it is to sort of pull him back in to make sure that he cannot leave the nest uh the way that would probably be very good for him right so like i i uh kind of circling back to your idea of the him not being uh the brother i think yes all of that really factors into this idea that at the end they were going to accept him as their new fester. And I would have been fine with that um, because I think it definitely goes in with the theming. Um, but like, I also think that, you know, I think that uh, Elizabeth Wilson nails it. She kills it. She kills it so good. She does that fake German accent. She uh, also is, is so mean and I don't like it. She slaps him <laughs> at one point and I was like, don't, don't touch my friend. Uh, so, I mean, I think with, without her, um, you know, it doesn't sell as well, which I think another good performance is Dan Hedaya, who is the, the lawyer. Uh, I think he does a fantastic job. Like the moment that you meet him, he has this like run down, gross, sleazy feeling to him. Um, and like you, you feel how bumbling he is in comparison to gomez like there's the moment it's like such a small choice but um after they finish talking about old business uh gomez <laughs> jumps on the he jumps on the the table and <laughs> and he dan hedea decides to slowly and like really inefficiently crawl onto the desk just to show how like ineffective ineffective this character is and i thought that was a really nice way of showing that without like being like i suck um <laughs> well he plays it in such a way where like dan hedea is one of those great actors who like you you if you don't know his name you definitely know his face you've seen his work and he's one of those actors that that shows up in supporting parts and consistently elevates the the material that he's working with and in this movie he's got this quality where yeah like he is sort of bumbling he is way out of his element he's definitely a sleaze and he is actively conspiring against our protagonist and yet at the same time i at least almost couldn't help but feel genuinely bad for this guy who even as he is scamming this family 
uh, is so just so absolutely out of his depth. I think he would have been a lot happier had he not, uh, well, one, not gotten in bad with loan sharks, but two, if he had just tried to pay back the loans with his lawyer money instead of trying to run scams on the weird whimsical murder family and stuff. And I, I just, yeah, I feel, I, I feel for him slightly, even though yes, in the end he deserves the comeuppance he receives. Certainly. Uh, I think Dan Hedaya brings this sort of sad dog quality to the character <laughs> and it know. makes him more, it makes him a hair more, not sympathetic, certainly, but I think a hair more empathetic than he might have been otherwise, even as you sit there going, bro, don't do that to these people. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like he got himself in in the, in that hole, literally and, and figuratively, <laughs> because of his his like shady dealings. Like, I have to imagine that this character has some kind of vice on the other side that we're not seeing that he's like, oh man, look at, look at all my bad lawyer stuff. He seems like a bad accountant, bad a lawyer, like a bad husband. Um, like he just doesn't want to get his shit together. And even when the plan is falling apart, he's all, he's like, I have to find a way to do some more scheming. Like his, his first pitch to uh, Gomez was that he's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to open an account put it in my name, offshore, million dollars, don't even worry about it, I'm going to take advantage of you. You're just an old, uh, an old dumb sap, uh, and I don't like that. It sounds like that's 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 what he does to all his clients, and that's why he has no other clients. It's just that, like, I assume that Gomez likes being taken advantage of. Like, I think that he he's like, oh, man, this guy's a, a garbage shark, and I like that about him. Because uh, you can see that spending money and doing like frivolous things with his cash is it it gets gomez off like there's the scene in the uh auction where he and morticia are basically bidding for their <laughs> their <right>. item <laughs> and as they're bidding against each other for the thing that they put on auction they're like oh yeah spend our money this makes me so horny uh <laughs> so i imagine that like he loves the fact that this guy is trying to take advantage of him whereas everyone else he tried this shit and they were like hell no why would why right. would i do this thing but gomez is like yeah 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 take my money you're you fucking worm Ooh, i love it <laughs> um look i'm not saying he's a good person who has integrity i'm just saying i feel like you know, maybe this is a man who is just stuck in very uh, destructive behavioral patterns. And maybe if he'd found, you know, a good therapist a handful of years ago, it's possible he would have made some different choices. And, and you know, you gotta you gotta lament what may have been and was not for this guy. Maybe. I guess you don't you don't have to, but you could. Um, so I want to talk about my favorite scene in this whole movie. Um, okay. Right, right before I talk ab about my least favorite stuff in this movie, um, okay. but my favorite scene in this whole movie is when so the whole time after we uh, get Fester being introduced back to the family, we got these little scenes of the family being suspicious of 
fester, but also trying to be supportive of Gomez, which I thought was really sweet. Um, but also, I like that once we get to the point where everyone suspects him, uh, Morticia is like, hey, why don't we take a walk, buddy? And she uh, essentially takes him for a walk through the graveyard and is subtly threatening him the whole time. <laughs> and it's it's so masterfully done in that it is, she's not, she never raises her voice. She never even overtly is like, if you hurt my husband, I'm going to crush your balls in a vice. Like she just goes through and talks about the, the hurt that has befallen everyone in their family. And then she takes, uh, she takes them to the statue, which I like that it kind of looks like the original um, Gomez and Morticia, which I thought was a really cute little uh, nod. But also, she reads aloud the family motto, which is, I think it's something to the effect of, we will gladly eat the flesh of anyone who crosses us or something like that. Um, And it's like, cool, we're in agreement. Great. Enjoy your night. Um, I thought that that (laughs) scene was so tense and beautiful and uh both her and christopher lloyd played their parts so masterfully that uh it ended up being one of my favorite scenes in the whole thing yeah um i could definitely see that yeah so but now i can having said that i'm going to talk about my least favorite bit in the whole movie which i could have done without which All right, is let's, let's hear it. It's like the classic '90s. Like it feels like an executive was like, "We can't just have them hanging out in the house the whole time." And so we get the sequence where they're living in the hotel room, and it's like, "Look at the Adams family doing real people stuff. Look at them trying to do yeah. jobs." Ha 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 ha! Oh boy, <laughs> what do you think Morticia would do if she was a teacher? He 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 he. Um, and I, I didn't like, and that was so, cause like also in addition to being real nineties, it was also very, um, there was a lot of product placement. Like there's Lurch drinking in front of a tombstone pizza billboard and Gomez right. is eating Frito-Lay chips. Uh, and then, uh, Thing is doing package shipments for FedEx. Oh boy, FedEx gets it to you fast. Ah, yeah. Look at that hand job. Um, so I think that was my least favorite uh, sequence in the movie, but I feel like it was worth it for the little banter we got with Wednesday and the Girl Scout, where the Girl Scout's like, I don't do anything that's not fresh and and, and wholesome. Ooh, boy, is your lemonade made out of lemons? And they're like, are your Girl Scout cookies made out of Girl Scouts? And I was like, damn! Served. And that uh, that Girl Scout, uh, I think it's the Girl Scout, is played by uh, Mercedes McNabb, who I think a lot of people know as Harmony from Buffy and Angel. Oh, cool. Um, she also makes an appearance in the second one. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing that. Um, presumably not as the main character, although I'm definitely watching the second one now that I've re- re- or watched this one for the first time. And I'm going to track to see if there's anything in the movie that says they can't be the same character. Right. 
Uh, I think they 100% are. She was, I'm, I'm sure that there's a scene where she goes, real girl scouts my ass, and then just starts beating up. Uh, no. Um, but yeah, I, um, but I will say that, like, I mentioned at the top of the show that I really like, even though I didn't like that sequence, um, I feel like in the second one, when we get the kids in, uh, at the, the school, I liked that they kind of took what didn't work out of that sequence and managed to repurpose it for, um, the summer camp stuff. Like that was great. Right. Yeah, and is I do this was uh this movie came out in 91, I think. And so I feel like if it had come out even just a year and a half later, uh I think people would have already seen Wayne's World and Wayne's World has that sequence where they're very explicitly making fun of uh obvious product placement in movies. And I feel like if if this movie had come out right on the tail of that, um uh, it's possible that that wouldn't have been able to fly because yeah, it is in one or two spots very it's it's pretty egregious. Also, speaking of Wayne's World, something that I learned that was a big nostalgia trip for me to learn this piece of information. Apparently, uh, uh, I want to say Wayne's World 2 and Adam's Family Values, I think, were coming out at around the same time. And there was a tie-in promotional campaign with McDonald's in 93 where they would sell for like a low price um, exclusive VHS editions of the Adams Family and Wayne's World. So uh, I got to think like maybe there was a kid whose parents took him to McDonald's, got both of these movies for them because it's inexpensive. It's like, hey, we can plop the kid down in front of the TV and they can do this for, for four hours or so. And they watch Wayne's World first and they watch this sequence making fun of explicit product placement. And then they watch The Addams Family and go, hey, this movie's bad now and <laughs> and and just ruins the whole thing for them. So it's good that they if they were going to do that, if they were going to build the sequence that way and put this very blatant product placement in that they snuck this movie into theaters uh, before Wayne's World, which, as we know, put an end to all product placement forever. Right. Of course. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right. So do you have any final thoughts about this before we start to wrap up? Um, I'm also a really big fan of the little scene where uh, Wednesday sort of straps Pugsley into an electric chair for a, a good old game of Is There a God? Mm. That is yes. um, one of the, if not maybe the darkest joke in the movie. And I enjoyed it so much. Uh, broadly speaking, this is, you know... Um, it's a it's very dark, but it's a family film in the way we used to be able to refer to things as family films, which is to say there are jokes that are going to work on multiple levels. There are going to be jokes that are there for the kids. And a lot of times that's, you know, um, sight gags or physical comedy. But there are also going to be jokes that go over the kids heads that are there for the parents that are watching movies with their kids. Um, I miss movies like that a great deal. Now, when we get movies that are directed towards younger audiences, they feel very directed at younger audiences, and there's not maybe quite as much there for an adult audience member. Um, I think this movie strikes that balance really well. I think, um, and, and again, I think that's why Tim Burton, to some folks, might have been a no-brainer for this material, is because I think some of his work does that uh, exceptionally well also. I feel like in terms of his oeuvre, the closest tonal approximation is 
is probably the movie of his that I thought about the most while watching this, and it's Beetlejuice, which we talked about on this show a, a while back. I do think, though, it is interesting, given all of that, that about a decade after this movie, Tim Burton would adapt Dark Shadows as a feature, which, uh, while not as well received, does feel in a way like him sort of taking a crack at um, an Adams Family type property as far as, you know, this was a, a sort of older series that people were familiar with. Now let's sort of update it for the modern age and and play around in that sort of macabre yet whimsical space. Right. Um, so I, I guess I'm glad that he got to take a crack at it, even though, yeah, that movie maybe not as uh, not as beloved as The Addams Family, which is a movie that now having seen it for real, uh, quite possibly for the first time, I really enjoyed. Uh, so so thank you for uh, creating an opportunity for me to actually experience this thing in earnest. You're welcome. Hey, anything I can do to help you enjoy stuff I- anytime. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad that you uh, were able to re- experience it for the first time. Um, and yeah, I, uh, I also think that like, for me, this was a really nice chance to go back and enjoy a movie I haven't seen since I was really young. And, and now with my, my, my new understanding of law, um, how, uh, <laughs> how, uh, how's, how's stuff works. Um, and also just like how schemes work. I don't think when I was a kid, I understood anything about the like why they were trying to break into the vault or like that the lawyer was trying to scheme them i was just like look at this whimsical stuff um so like i like that i understand the plot now which is great um (laughs) i i too prefer when i understand the plots of things yes um and i so i feel like this was a nice way to end the the like mother may i month i feel like so we started in a pretty serious place with psycho then we started moving into satire which is kind of in between serious and comedic then we got to a nice comedic place and then we went full lambast so i think the the progression really uh is a good reflection of us as people we, we appear serious to start and then you realize we're just a big bunch of cartoon buffoons uh, i feel like it's sort of like the, the experience a lot of people are having right now in quarantine like it all started very serious and scary and gradually we're all just we're all just unraveling and i think when we're finally all out of quarantine we're all just going to be the most bizarre uh, alien whimsical beings uh i think there's going to be a <laughs> going to be a lot of mamushkas danced uh, a lot of games of is there a god played oh no <laughs> um so speaking of we are uh we are now at the end of the mother may i month and so now we're going to be going into june and we have decided that the theme is going to be school's out forever 
Uh, and our theme is going to be focused on either summer-related content or school-related content, things of that sort. So that's going to be our uh, that's going to be our theme. We are totally open to suggestions. Speaking of a loud and sorrowful sorrowful apology to at Lisa McNabb. Uh, because she had suggested Cherry Falls, which we had announced last week, but it turns out that it's not available for, for streaming, I assume because of the uh, troubled production that it had, um, and so we had to default back to our original pick, which was Adam's Family, and so uh, we still recommend that she keep suggesting stuff, and the same for you guys. Please feel free to reach out and uh, let us know what you would want us to consume under the theme of the month. So this coming month's theme is schools out forever. And so you can- uh, I love when you do that. Thank you. Uh, so you can recommend <laughs> stuff on our Twitter, which is at Missing Outcast, M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. Um, so if you would like, to suggest anything, you know, it can be uh, movies, music, television, uh, poetry, something uh, that we can consume and discuss uh, over the course of a, a week. Uh, please feel free to reach out. You can also reach us, reach out to us on our personal social media. Lex, where can they find you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at the Lex Michael. Awesome. And you can find me at Tari J. T-A-U-R-I-J-A-Y. Um, thank you again for listening. Thank you for enjoying this Mother May I month with us. Uh, we've had a lot of fun talking about mommy issues and uh, seeing how the theme is portrayed in, over the course of basically the last 50, 60 years since we started with Psycho. Um, and how a lot of the themes continue and how they are expressed in, in a lot of similar ways, which is a, a really fascinating thing to explore. So thank you guys for, for joining us for that. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the full series, you can do so. It's on all the platforms, uh, Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast app, um, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, and iHeartRadio. Uh, so yeah. Uh, until next week when we start our new theme this has been the retrospective that is introspective and now you have a new perspective the podcast of brotherly love mamushka 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 kiss some girls do some stuff death 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 <laughs>